Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And this is the Essential Bible Studies Podcast. My name is Jay. And my name is Tim Young. Jay, I'm really happy to have you back here, right in the midst of season three. And we're really following up from last season. I mean, you and I did a really important series of three studies on the inspiration of Scripture, how they're inspired by God. And while we were doing those, you kind of tickled my ear a little bit, I guess, when you mentioned something about the canon of Scripture, basically, how do we know what books are supposed to be in our Bible? And you mentioned that the Bible actually tells us about that. And I was like, uh, go on. Yeah. I, I, when I've read about it, it always talks about these councils that were like a hundred years later that decided what was in our Bibles. And yeah. that, that never really kind of sat right with me. So I was really interested in what you had to say on this topic. So I'm really glad to kind of circle the wagons back around and, and come back to this topic about how God oversaw this process and how he tells us about it in the scriptures. Yeah, that's what's really powerful about this is when we think about the word of God and why we believe it's the word of God, we shouldn't be surprised to come to the conclusion that the Bible itself contains the key to understand how it was that God himself assembled it and how right. he used people to do that, I how guess, he oversaw it. I guess there's just certain challenges every once in a while with other books, like spiritual books that people bring up and try to bring into the conversation that aren't in our Bibles. Right. And what do you do with that? I mean, Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. it's, it's a tricky question. It can be a tricky question. And it's not a new question either. It's a really ancient one because I don't know about you, but sometimes... I get a little jealous about those who have lived 2,000 years ago who might have been contemporary with the Lord Jesus Christ okay. <laughs> or contemporary with the apostles and all the work of the early ecclesian, thinking that if I were to see those things and to experience those things, it would be so much easier to answer many of our questions. But really, when you look back in the Bible, it was challenging even in those times. It took effort. It took prayer. Right. It took seeking okay. to discover what was right and what wasn't right. Mm. A kind of a good example of this is uh, a number of what, what we would call today false gospels that were written most of the time well after the apostles were around, well after the Lord Jesus Christ was around. And one of those was called uh, the Gospel of Judas. Oh, that sounds interesting. It, yeah, no kidding. The good news of Judas. If that's not a, if that's not a be careful the betrayer before you betrayer of read, the Lord Jesus. Yeah, that's it. That's how he's portrayed in all four Gospels as the yeah. betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. About fifteen years ago, a copy, one of the original copies of the Gospel of Judas, was found, mm. seventeen hundred years old. Ooh, okay. So that's like you know. Well, the New Testament was two thousand years ago, so you're. This is pretty old. Quite, yeah, that's exactly right. But it's still like a few hundred years after. Yes, all the apostles were dead. The, the followers of the apostles were dead, and we're now uh, several generations actually removed from that. But in uh, 2006, National Geographic published an article that kind of reverses the role of Judas. It mm. doesn't kind of reverse the role. It completely reverses the role 
of Judas. And so it's it, a totally different Judas than we read in the gospel record. Totally different Judas. I mean, he's the one, he's one of the 12. He's depicted as the Judas that we all know, who betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss in the gospels. But oh. he is vindicated in this particular writing as the only one who really understood Jesus. And actually, he was the one who was instrumental in betraying him. And he knew he was doing that. And the Lord wanted him to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's what the gospel of Judas teaches. And in this gospel, Jesus tells him, he says, look, n- people aren't going to understand what you're doing, but you're doing it for me. You're doing it for the right reason. And I commend you for that. That's essentially the gospel of Judas. I remember as a young man, I mean, my first introduction to different gospels or different writings was I was a young man. I was over at a neighbor's house. And he was a bit of an eccentric old man. And we get on these interesting conversations, but he brought up the Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Gospel of Thomas, what is that? That's not in my Bible. Yep. But I guess that's another one of those Gospels. I had to, at the time, start saying, well, why isn't this in my Bible? I'm starting to compare it and mm-hmm. test it against what Scripture says. Right? Yeah, it's attractive because when you think about it, you've got a Gospel of Matthew, who was one of the 12, of Mark, who was not a direct disciple but he's still inspired, of Luke, who was not a direct disciple, but was an eyewitness of many of those things, and then of John, who was a disciple. But we don't have anything in our Bibles today from Thomas, for example, who was an apostle. We don't have anything from Judas, who was an apostle, unless you start to count these false gospels, which in themselves tell completely contradictory stories to the gospels that we have, Hmm. and also with each other when you look at them as well. So, you know, it really begs the question, which you have already referred to, which is how do we know what was true, what's true in our Bibles? How do we determine that right. the Gospel of Thomas belongs where it does, which is outside of our, our Bibles, and the Gospel of Judas should belong in the same place? But there's another question, too, which is how did first century Christians know what was really the Word of God? That's a big question, too, because as we mentioned, there were other, and there's lots of evidence in the Bible for this, there were other gospels, or at least teachers at the time of the apostles, when they were preaching their words, which were authentic and which were sent from God. Right. So I guess it really kind of goes back to the role of a prophet in Scripture. I mean, we talked about this last season under the episode, God Spoke, and how he spoke through the prophets. So it is interesting when you look at scripture because there was true prophets and then there were false prophets all throughout the Bible. And if you just kind of pick up your ears to that and you kind of put yourself in the situation, if you were there, how would you know a prophet was a true prophet or not? Right. We often think a prophet is somebody who foretells the future, what's going to happen in the future. But a prophet back in the Bible was somebody who not only did that, but he just spoke forth the word of God, which Mm -hmm. was relevant for their day. And they would say, thus saith the Lord, right? Or or be able to write these things down Mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit guidance of God. But there was all these other false prophets. So we talked about this last time. I think it's, it's in Deuteronomy 18. So this is, you know, early on the Bible, there's actually a test of a true or a false prophet. So God already saw that this was going to be coming for the Israelites and gave them a test. And it's in Deuteronomy 18. I'll I'll just read that Mm -hmm. for us. Uh, I'll start at verse 19, right? Deuteronomy 18, verse 19. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, this is the prophet that he's going to send. 
I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Yep. So there's the test. I mean, it was very essential for a prophet to be able to speak the future and have those things come to pass often during his day or, or sometime very close afterwards. So you could take his words and say, this was the, the word of God. Yeah. It's, it's proven, right? Yep. And also the other test was you can't speak in the name of other gods because there's only one God. So you right. can't lead away from those things that have already been revealed. Yeah, so, exactly. Very clear. Now, there are examples of this in Scripture. One of my favorite ones is in Jeremiah. That's such a good one. Yeah, it's in Jeremiah chapter 28. Now, you got to re- really read the whole chapter because it's really a very dramatic scene. Yes. <laughs> where Jeremiah, the prophet of God, is confronting another prophet who is speaking in the name of the Lord, and they're they're speaking to the king of Judah whose name is Zedekiah. Now, they're they're facing the Babylonians, so there's something's going to happen here. What's it going to be? Are the Babylonians going to come and capture the city or not? And so Hananiah, it really comes out in verses 2 through 4 of Jeremiah 28, where he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. So there's a prediction by this prophet in two years this is going to happen. And Jeremiah opposes this prophet. So they're right in the king's court. This is all playing out right in front of them, right? In this prophecy, it's Jeremiah is actually wearing a a yoke to say, you're going to be under the yoke of the Babylonians. This is not going to happen where you're going to be freed in two years. And this yoke, which was something you put on oxen to keep them together when you're plowing the fields, was a symbol of being under servitude. And so Jeremiah is wearing this yoke, and we read what happens in verse 10. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. So there's that two-year prophecy again. Actually, Jeremiah goes away, but the word of the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to go back, and I want you to speak a prophecy to Hananiah, saying, it's in verses 15, says, Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Yeah. So whose words came true? The yeah. test of the prophet. Yeah. Jeremiah's words came true. Hananiah's words did not come true. They went into captivity for 70 years. They didn't come back in yeah. two years, right? That's exactly right. And it would have been really difficult to want to believe what it was that Jeremiah was saying on behalf right. of God, which is 
that this is a losing battle you're fighting against. Give up. Yeah. Give up. Surrender. Surrender. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. They did not want to hear that. But he was speaking the word of God, and Hananiah certainly wasn't. And those who were hearing at that time would have heard and took notice that that was a false prophet. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, like what the point here is at the time, you would have been sitting there, your head kind of going back and forth, going like, uh, I don't know which one to believe, right? Mm -hmm. Jeremiah's already got an established track record. He should have believed in, in Jeremiah. But that also happens in the New Testament too. There's prophets in the New Testament. Yes. And a good example of this is in Acts chapter 11 with a prophet named Agabus. So it's in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, where it says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And just stop there, and you notice it's in plural, prophets. There was yeah. more, more than one. But it says in verse 28, And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And in parentheses, the ESB puts, this took place in the days of Claudius mm-hmm. to confirm the word of the prophet. Yeah. And so they take action upon that. They decide that they're going to send some relief. So here are prophets again in the New Testament. The prophets are just not in the Old Testament. They're in the New Testament as well. Yes. And they're being guided by the Spirit. They're there to help to build up the church at that time. Right. Now, it's interesting in the Acts, with just the start of the church, there's not too many false prophets that are recorded for us, but they knew it was coming, like it was eminent. So when... For instance, when Paul goes to a place called Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, it says at verse 29, he's talking with the elders of Ephesus, and he says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, he's talking about leaving Ephesus, but he's really talking about his his death too as well, Mm -hmm. I think. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away disciples after them. And so it was very eminent. There was kind of these clouds looming that there would be false prophets. And what Paul is doing here is he's actually using the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. And so even in the New Testament, they had this conflict going on between true prophets and false prophets. And so... It's really interesting that Paul was warning the Ephesians here about this problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. And he's as he's on his way now in his third missionary journey, he's heading back to Jerusalem with a great company and also a big collection that he was taking back that the Ephesians had actually contributed to mm-hmm. at this particular time. But he would also write a letter back to these brothers and sisters at Ephesus, and he speaks about the role of prophets there at that time. And right. prophets were incredibly important in the early Ecclesia because it, it makes sense. You think about Jeremiah, how essential was it that God himself would be communicating to his people in the days of Jeremiah, that they would know what to do? Yeah. Hugely important. Yeah. And the same thing is true as the New Testament church is being established in this particular case, in Ephesus. So there's reference to these to these prophets here. They had a very important role. In the letter to the Ephesians? In the letter yeah, to the Ephesians, yeah. That's yeah, kind of cool. We learn about the Ephesians in Acts. You can read a letter Paul sent to them. What a story you can follow through. And in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he speaks about the great mystery of Christ or the secret of Christ, which is that the Lord had come and he is gathering together in the church, both Jews and Gentiles, who had received the hope of Israel. So just looking over here at verse 5, 
in Ephesians chapter 3, and speaking about this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, but it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So the Mm. Spirit of God had come on individuals at that time who were part of the ecclesia, part of the church, and they had been made known this mystery of Christ, which essentially is the teaching of the gospel, which had not been made known to people in other generations because people didn't understand yet that in other generations that Christ had to die and right. he had to be resurrected and he would ascend into heaven and then return again. That was part of the this great secret of the gospel that now they had received. And that the Gentiles would be accepted by and faith. Ex- yeah. That's exactly right. It all had to do with the access to the hope of Israel in Christ through faith, Jew and Gentile. And that's what it speaks about in verse 6. That secret is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. How in the world did they know that? Had to be revealed. It had to be revealed. And who got that message? The prophets who received the word of God. And that message was spread from them to the ecclesia and to all the members of the church would be preaching to as they planted the word of God in various places, and it took root. And so it really also shows that there was there was something that had to be done by the prophets and the rest of the meeting too. And that's made clear for us in Ephesians chapter 4, because it wasn't just now that they were able to, to understand this teaching. That was an essential part of it, but there was a role that this would have in the church at that time. And in verse 11, it talks about how when the Lord Jesus Christ would ascend into heaven, the Spirit would be poured out, the Spirit of God would be poured out to members of the church. And in verse 11, this is what happened as the Spirit is given to men and women in the ecclesia. So in verse 11, it says that he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and teachers. So these were certain roles of ecclesial members that were given to them by the Spirit at that particular time. So the Spirit gave them special powers for these roles. Special powers. That's exactly Spirit right. gifts is what they're called. Yeah. These are the Spirit gifts, yeah. And then it tells us what exactly the point is for this. And it says in verse 12, it was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it was to build up all the members of the ecclesia. Everybody had a particular gift given to them by the Spirit. And the first gift that's mentioned here, not just here, but in other places, uh, is the role of the apostles and the prophets. The prophets are always near the top in these lists because they were receiving the word of God directly from God himself. And it was to build up all of the members together so that they could understand the truth and be encouraged in the teaching of the gospel of Christ. It's one of those great expressions of the apostle Paul because you can see how many commas are here. (laughs) It's, It's a lot to think about, but it is that growing up of the body or the members of the church into the head of Christ, into the fullness of Christ, was so that in verse 14, they would no longer be children, now listen to this, Mm. tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, 
by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I wonder where they get those things from. Where would you get human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes coming into the church? False prophets? Is that what you're talking about? False prophets. Ah. False prophets. And they were there in the early ecclesia. And they had to be guarded against that by holding onto those things that were true and good and endorsed by God himself. And then it says in verse 15, but rather, forget all those deceitful schemes and the craftiness and the human cunning and the blowing in the wind, whichever way the wind blows. We, we even use that expression today, right? <laughs> yeah. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body, those are the members of the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each one is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So speaking the truth in love, in the true words of Christ, in the true living out of those principles, the body will grow and mature. That's the perfect picture of ecclesial life there with the false prophets on the outside where they belong. Right. Yeah. So what I'm getting from this is that there was all sorts of different gifts that were given to the early ecclesia that they might grow up into the perfect ecclesia, having the the right doctrine. And that would be based in having the word established, the, the scriptures that we talk about. But this this here really doesn't talk about provers. I mean, how, even though there would be prophets and there would be false prophets, mm -hmm. I mean, how would they be able to discern these kind of things? Yeah, that's the real question. The question is, what are the mechanisms behind that? What did yeah. that look like in an ecclesia? And I think that there's good evidence in Scripture to show us exactly how that looked. So I think— um, This is the point where I got to go on. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this, this is what I found really interesting when you were talking to me about it before. Yeah, it's one of those really interesting patterns. And, you know, when you see it, you see it, and it pops out yeah. in so many contexts. So I think what we'll do in looking at this particular pattern for the— For the testing of the prophets. For the testing of the prophets, for the authenticating of the word, we'll look at three different contexts. Okay. See if we can see the pattern in that. Yep. So maybe the first one is have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think we'd be incomplete in talking about the role of prophets and the spirit in the first century if we didn't have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14. Right. It's really quite a long section where he talks about spirit gifts and, yes. the, and the prophets and speaking in tongues. Yeah. It's a, it's a great section. And really, we end up at the same place that we do in Ephesians. It's mm. all about the building yeah, there's up. There's a lot of parallels here, yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe before we look at these these contexts, we can just talk broadly about what to look for. Okay. And I think that's probably the best way to look at it. In every case that we're going to have a look at, it all begins with God pouring out his spirit power upon members of the ecclesia. Right. And what happens after that is prophets receive the word. So they're receiving the word from God. And there were those in the ecclesia at that time, as you alluded to, the prophets would have to work together with the provers. So the, it's like, well, what's a prover? A prover. I, didn't, I didn't read about <laughs> a, prover. A, a prover, but the Bible actually does speak about the role of what I'll put in quotes, a prover, um, and they call them by different names. Okay. So it's interesting to see that. And so maybe have a look for that when we look at Corinthians and then we look at another context, have a look for those whose job it was to prove what it was that the prophets were right. speaking. That's the that's, interesting part. Yeah. That's the interesting part. And yeah. they were there in each ecclesial context that we'll have a look at. 
and, and the point of that is so that once you had someone receive the word of God, the word of God was spoken, and someone would have to confirm that to authenticate it, just like Jeremiah and Hananiah, right? You had these two prophets speaking yeah. before the king, and who was right? And in the ecclesia, in the early church, there were those who had the job of being able to confirm that word. And was that a Holy Spirit gift? It absolutely was a Holy Spirit okay. gift. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see that in the context. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So everything comes from the Lord. Everything comes from the Spirit that would give a variety of gifts to members in the church. And if we have a look at verse 10, it describes some of these. Um, actually, we can come down to verse 8, because this is where the list begins. It says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles to another prophecy. See yeah. that one right there? Yeah. There's your prophecy. Now look at the next one. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Hmm. That expression there, that ability to distinguish between spirits, that's a separate gift for a separate group of people whose job it would be to test teachings that would come inside the ecclesia. So the spirits are other teachings you're saying in this That's exactly sense, right. right. Yep. That's exactly right. It's very clearly seen throughout Scripture. A spirit is a teaching. And you were supposed to be able in the Ecclesia to determine, to distinguish between the one and the other, that you might know what is true and what is false. And at the end of it, what's all this for? At the end of it, it was for, at the end of verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit, for the common good. Everyone had to work together. Right. For the common, common good. Common good. Yeah. So it's like going back to Ephesians. It was for the whole body to be built up That's to exactly this right. unity of the faith. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Super yeah. clear. Yeah, I could see that. Super yeah. straightforward. And we have, but, but the interesting thing is the, uh, it's the distinction between the different kinds of gifts, the different varieties of gifts. We've got a prophet who would receive the word of God, and we'd have another one who would be able to, to test that. To determine right. that. So here it says the ability to distinguish between spirits. Yes. So how's the next passage or next context go? Yeah, there's another way that this is expressed just over a couple of chapters here into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's the same pattern here. Paul's making the same point here in verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. And Tim, the Corinthians, they were like really eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Yeah. And in not very good ways because mm -hmm. they weren't all working together for the common good. They were right. actually, they'd look at somebody with one gift and, and say, I wish, I wish that was me. I wish I could do that. Yeah, I'd be jealous, a little bit more yeah. prominent and popular yeah. if I had this gift over another. But he says, strive to excel in building up the ecclesia. It's not just about you. It's about building up the whole body. That's what verse 12 says. And when we come down to verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak. Oh, there's the prophets again. Right. And let the others weigh what is said. See that? You got to work together. But you got to weigh what is said. Let the others weigh what is said. Not the prophets. Not the prophets. 
So that weighing is like, I think in other translations, it has like judging or yes. evaluating. That's a great what word. Is, what is being said. That's a great word. It's but, the same idea. Yeah. It's the same gift that's expressed using different words in chapter 12, where it talks about the ability to distinguish between spirits. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because that balances with another gift, which was the speaking in tongues, which mm -hmm. is another language. But you also had the opposite gift was somebody who interpret tongues yes. for the ecclesia. So here you have a, a spirit gift for prophecy, but you also had a spirit gift for weighing that prophecy, whether it really was the spirit of God. Or yeah. Not. Yeah. God's not the author of confusion. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that's what he says at verse 33 at the very end. God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. And so in verse 31 as well, we all, Paul, it's like, well, hasn't he said this before? Yeah, he, but he had to say this to the Corinthians. He had to say this because they were struggling with this. You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Well, there's that one body aspect again, yeah. building up the one body. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's all there again, yeah. It's there in Thessalonians too. So this is the third one. You have this a third three. one. Well, out of the mouth of two or three prophets yes here we go. <laughs> i like that yeah it's two or three witnesses right that's it's a, exactly that kind of right. idea too <laughs> so yeah this is first thessalonians chapter five there's great comfort in the clear teaching of scripture where we can see patterns reinforced and teachings reinforced and that's what it means when it says in scripture that we don't just make up what scripture means but we compare scripture with scripture right and we see that god is consistent he's not the author of confusion in any way and when we come here now to our third context, it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And what's nice about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is that it's nice and compressed. We had to go over 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 here. Yeah, yeah. We've got it in a few verses. Yeah. And in verse 19, it says, do not quench the spirit. Ah. So. What does that mean? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. The spirit of God is often described, his power is often described as if it had the, the qualities of a liquid, something that could be poured out. Okay. And it's, it's also described as a fire in other places, like it was in the days of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, actually, in his day, getting back to him, he tried to quench the spirit in himself. Oh, right. He says there was a fire yeah. in my bones. Or... He couldn't stand it. He had to speak. He had to speak, yeah. And that's what Paul is encouraging them here. Don't quench the spirit, that burning that you've received. Make sure that you you're able to use that in the way that God has given it to you. And we're talking about the first century here in particular, those very specific gifts. Well, what were they? Look at verse 20. Do not despise prophecies. Uh -huh. Yeah. But? But test everything. Oh, there's that judgment or that weighing. In the context here, it's the prophecies, isn't it? It's exactly right. And hold fast what is good. So you test it, and then you hold fast to what is a true prophecy. Isn't that beautiful? Second, yeah. First Corinthians right 12 to 14, all summed up. Don't quench <laughs> the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good so that everybody is encouraged in the faith. Yeah, this is fantastic. You actually have like a little handout all attached to the show notes with color and arrows and stuff to kind of lay this out a little bit. Color so and arrows. See it there. Colors and arrows really help. Very helpful. <laughs> It's really interesting that testing or that weighing or that judging of the prophets. I see it coming out in different places. And can I give you like a couple of examples of it? Oh yeah. There's one in First John four verse one. Mm -hmm. It says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit." 
Well, that one we saw back in 1 Corinthians 12 where it says be, they were discerning of spirits. Right. This is the same kind of thing. Do not believe every spirit. It's kind of like a be skeptical yeah. of what's being taught. But it says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So there's really the challenge uh, during this time. But I think in the next few verses, he gives that test. Yes. What is the test that you're supposed to test these false prophets with? Well, he tells us, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So there's a test. What are they teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ? Are they teaching something else that he didn't come in the flesh? Mm Mm-hmm. Whatever that was, right? Right. But you would know the Word of God because this is the very first principle kind of thing that had to be in line with it, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it really knits it very well together. And it's a challenge for our age, even today, just like it was back then, because there's a tendency sometimes to try and search for truth in everything, right? Yeah. But what Paul had said to the Ephesians was, you've got to be careful that you don't forget to measure all these things against what has been revealed to be true, because otherwise you're going to be blown in the wind. You're going to be believing every spirit, yeah. and there's not truth in every spirit. Right. Yeah. Here's another one, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, and we're going back to the Ephesian Ecclesia. This was actually a letter written to the Ephesians, and it's from the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And he says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So there's that testing again that Mm -hmm. you mentioned before. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting how much that keeps popping up, these tests that they were, at that time, they were able to tell what was the word of God and what wasn't the word of God by the, the spirit gifts that were among them. These were the Holy Spirit gifts that I, I believe that they were there prominent during that day and age for the establishment of the, the church and the establishment of the Word of God, the New Testament, as we have it. And then after that, they died out. They weren't there anymore. They weren't able to be passed on to right. the, the next generation. Mm-hmm. So we're living in a day where there are no spirit gifts of prophets or discerning of spirits in that sense. Exactly. But we're still expected to test it in the same way because we have that word of God. We have that spirit-revealed word in our Bibles that was established back then. So there's not a lot to these councils that come later and and say what was in in the Bible. They knew in the first century what was the Bible. It was settled. It might have got muddled and confused by some other people during the later centuries. Right. But in the first century, they knew what the Word of God was. They knew because they worked together to uh, determine that in the power of the Spirit that God had given to them. That was a lot to take in. I know. (laughs) Maybe you could just wrap up for us and say, you know, what are some lessons that we can pull from this? Yeah. So if we're summing up, the prophets' words were confirmed in part through the accuracy of their predictions. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18, remember? And also by those who had the gifts to discern and weigh the spirits. That was another way that the prophets' words were confirmed, especially in the New Testament. There was this role in the early church for those to discern or to weigh the spirits or the teachings 
that were coming, in particular from the prophets. And so the gifts of the Holy Spirit were withdrawn after the ecclesias attained to this unity of the faith. Now, we didn't look at this, but this is super important, and you already spoke to this, Tim. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, I think it's worth going back there. We've got to take a look at this again. It's Ephesians chapter 4, excuse me. Oh, yeah, back to Ephesians. This, okay. is, this is really good. It's great. Because there's an implication here, even in Ephesians, that these gifts of the Spirit were given... And there was an anticipation that they would be taken away at a certain point. Even in Ephesians, it suggests this. So in verse 12, so all these different roles by the Spirit, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, were given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until. It was to a certain end, until we all attained the unity of the faith. And the Ephesians must have attained to the unity of faith because mm -hmm. we don't see these gifts anymore. That happened for them at that particular moment after they've received this letter from Paul to the Ephesians. So the gifts of the Spirit were withdrawn. They were given until the Ecclesias attained the unity of the faith. So any of these false gospels that we read about, Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, they don't in any way undermine our New Testament. They don't belong there. They were false then and they're false now. But now that we have received the word of God from the prophets, we have to make sure that we take the lessons of these provers in the New Testament times and make sure that we are testing any teaching with the word that they received and they confirmed back in the first century. In short, it's a great summary verse spoken by the Apostle Paul to Timothy when he was in Ephesus dealing with these very things. And he says, do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Mm. Beautiful, Jay. And thank you so much for this study because it's just so encouraging. You know, you can read the Bible and you can just, you know that this is the word of God and you can just trust it from Genesis to Revelation. And it's really been encouraging. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for being excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts are great, but it's even better studying the Bible with friends. If you would like to join us for a live Zoom online Bible study, then go to our website at www.essentialbiblestudies.org to see the times and how to connect in. We're also giving away free Essential Bible Study media kits. This is a really cool way to share the podcast with others with business cards, stickers, and bookmarks, lots of cool things. All you have to do is send us your mailing address using our website contact form or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook and then wait anxiously at the mailbox for it to arrive. This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the Book Road Ecclesia in beautiful Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until next time, my dear friends, may God help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.